Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are Eric Devin and Philip Bargiel. After the final international break, it's back to domestic action, and what a weekend to come back on with the Coupe de la Ligue final. So, who won the first piece of French silverware this season? Could it spring them on to more success? All that and more from Liga as well after the latest headlines. In keeping with the adage about March, Ligue 1's return to action after the international break had more of the lamb than the lion to it, with only 14 goals spread across all of the league's eight matches. Gangomp took advantage of an early sending off for Nancy's Moudou Diagne, winning 1-0 at home with Sloan Privat netting the goal on his return from injury. Saturday's early match had Baptiste René playing a blinder in goal for Dijon, who managed to earn a 1-1 draw against Marseille at the Velodrome, a result which saw the visitors move into 17th. In the early evening match, Nicolas de Preville's superb goal was all that Lille needed to win 1-0 at Bastia. While in the Coupe de la Ligue final, Monaco fell to Paris Saint-Germain 4-1, with Edison Cavani netting a brace and Angel Di Maria chipping in with two assists and a goal. Sunday's early match had Lyon travelling to face Rennes and the hosts were in trouble in the, the early going as makeshift left-back Remy Bensaibaini was sent off in the first five minutes. The Breton side bravely battled back though as a late goal from Fermin Mubele was enough to earn a point after Maxwell Cornet had opened the scoring for Lyon on 53 minutes. In the multiplex, Prejus Nakulma kept up his, his recent good form for Nantes, netting his second brace in three matches to lead the hosts past Angers 2-1. While Lorient continued their mini-revival with a 1-0 win over Caen, moving ahead of Bastia to sit level on points with Nancy in the playoff spot. At Montpellier, Randy Delors was back on the score sheet for the first time in six matches for Toulouse as the visitors won 1-0. While Mario Balotelli scored a penalty and added an assist as Nice came from behind to beat Bordeaux 2-1 at the Alliance Riviera. In Ligue 2, Brest were back to winning ways, winning 2-0 at Lens to put all three points clear of the northern side at the top of the table, while Ligue 2's top scorer Adama Nian helped Troyes to a 4-2 win over Orléans, although Strasbourg can go third with a win over Sochaux this evening. And that's all for the news, but remember... For all the latest, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with that showpiece on Saturday evening in the Coupe de la Ligue final, which saw Paris Saint-Germain retain their title for an incredible fourth year in a row. A 4-1 win saw off Monaco in a what is a huge victory for Unai Emery. Uh, how did PSG perform, in your opinion, Philip? Um, I think they, they performed what we expected them to um, to do, 4-3-3, regular team, regular performers. Some some were obviously uh, much better than usual. I thought Di Maria was, had a great game. Cavani, great goal, great, uh, actually great, uh, great two goals. He uh, he did miss uh, what looked like an open goal, but that, that chance was actually not as easy as it uh, first looked live. PSG were quite comfortable in midfield, I thought. I thought that uh, I was actually, it was actually standard PSG, I thought, and um, substandard, substandard Monaco. I was uh, actually quite disappointed by um, Monaco's lack of attacking threat. I thought Bernardo Silva and uh, Thomas Lemar were uh, much less of a threat going forward than they usually are. Um, of course, we, I believe we're going to talk about Fabinho not, uh, not starting and actually not playing uh, a whole game. Um, so, uh, Moutinho was playing. We didn't... Um, so the fact that Moutinho has not been starting very much, I'll just get the stats out in a minute, uh, and he's become more of a squad player than, uh, you know, a starter has actually gone a bit off the radar this season. Um, and he's definitely lost his spot to uh, to Fabinho. He's had a great uh, great conversion from uh, being a right back to being a central midfielder, um, and uh, you felt that you felt that. And um, I can't really blame all of it on Moutinho uh, because of the formation. I still think that four four two is far too risky, and that you can't really play that that type of formation um, 
week in, week out, which Jardim uh, does, except against PSG in the league. Um, I also was quite disappointed with uh, Valère Germain not tracking back enough. I thought he was playing very, very high and far too high. Eugène Germain is found helping the midfield too uh, in order to be on some kind of 4-4-1-1, which makes it three in midfield-ish, um, which would uh, put PSG in uh, more of a difficult posi uh, position in midfield. And uh, it just it just didn't happen, and you felt that you you, you just felt. So Basic had an um, had an amazing game with blinding stops. I didn't I didn't see Trap making um, lots of uh, great saves, and I was quite. I mean, I, I know I should be happy, but I was yeah quite disappointed that Pidge ended up four one winners. Eric, let's focus on the winners first and some of their star performers. And that midfield was really where the game was won and lost. And someone like Marco Verratti, who had a a really controlling game was was him being able to have that sort of space and freedom he was afforded a real factor in this victory yeah absolutely i i think that to see psg play the 433 i think there are some people who had uh, expected uh, javier pastore to start and to play 4231 but i think the numerical superiority that the 433 offers in midfield particularly with Fabinho out of the picture was a good move from Unai Emery. and uh Part of this was PSG playing well, and part of this was down to Monaco's lack of pressure. They simply didn't get enough pressure on on Kevin Trapp, uh, on the central defenders, Silva and Kimpembe, and on Thiago Mata, and it was too easy for PSG to build from the back. We know Silva in particular is, is really good with balls over the top, Mata the same thing. So PSG were not only allowed to control possession, with that numerical superiority, they had 63% of possession, but they were also able to get the ball up the field very quickly. Uh, and that sort of limited the effectiveness of um, of of Monaco as well. It, it, we don't associate teams that dominate possession like PSG do on um, playing with the counter, but I think it's something that's gone unsung about them, particularly this season under Emery, that they are really effective on the counter even though they tend to dominate possession and that ability to play the ball out from the back very quickly and get it up and get it up to the attackers in a matter of seconds is what makes the difference. Yeah. And it, it, especially as Monaco tried to push on for that goal, it almost seemed like PSG looked dangerous on every single counter attack. And let's, let's talk about those two players that really stole the headlines, uh, Philip, and that's uh, Angel Di Maria and Edison Cavani. And they both showed glimpses of what they're great at, but also maybe some would question <laughs> some of the character flaws also fall out with Di Maria, maybe, maybe a little bit play acting and, and Edison Cavani missing what was, what at least seemed on, on, First viewing, an easy chance. What did you think to the two's performances and, and how that lifted really the team, especially right near the start of that game? I wouldn't read too much into uh, having a flawless game in uh, in, the, in a game of that mag magnitude. I think uh, both of them would be quite happy with the performance they gave. And it's not even especially Di Maria or especially Cavani. Like I said, he did miss uh, the end of an open goal, but he scored a, you know, a truly wonderful Wonderful volley from a great, great Verratti pass. Dimura as well. He was uh, he was playing between the lines. You know, he was playing. He was doing. You know what he is paid to be to be doing. Not just being the guy who uh, stays stays on the wing, tries to beat his man, tries to put a nice cross in. He um, he was great uh, in interplay between between the lines, playing with uh, with Verratti. It was it was quite yeah, it was quite dynamic. But once again, would would it have been uh, dynamic if Monaco would have would have prepared more for this game? I don't think so. So, once again, it's not that hard to defend against PSG, and I, I don't think Monaco defended well. So, sometimes a, a great performance can be uh, the fact that uh, you are given freedom, uh, like Eric correctly said, um, no pressure in midfield, and um, didn't think that much of, of the back four either. Let's talk on about Monaco now, then, who did really seem to struggle to maintain position and really have effective counter-attacks in this game, Eric. And we've already mentioned, obviously, Fabinho was suspended for this one, so they they didn't have him available, so Moutinho was in the place. How much did they miss the Brazilian in that centre of the midfield? I mean, to an incredible amount. I think that Moutinho, I think, does have a useful purpose. If you're playing against a team, if you're Monaco and you're playing against a team which uh, is going to let you have the ball and let you dominate possession, 
Moutinho is a very neat passer of the ball. He's he's good. He's good with free kicks. Uh, he, he allows Monaco to control possession. He's a great antidote to close out a, a tight match. You bring him on, he can he can help control possession. But in a match like this, where you're already at a numerical disadvantage in midfield, and Silva and and Lamar are going to be pushing on further further forward, you really need someone who's going to attack the match with a, with a level of aggression, and that's what we saw from Fabinho. Now, that, and that is his main role. You know, we've got Bakayoko who can get forward with the, sort of these lumbering runs. Uh, Fabinho, in his role, he's able to cover the fullbacks to allow them to bomb on. We didn't, see, we didn't see that. Moutinho isn't as mobile of a player, isn't as quick of a player, doesn't cover as much ground. And without those fullbacks being able to bomb on, that immediately changes the way Monaco approached the match. Uh, the the drive and, and determination of those attacking players on on the wit in, on the in the wings that is um, Studi Bay and and Mendy is what allows Monaco's attack to be so effective. You've got the the wide midfielders cutting inside, and the fullbacks are the ones that provide the width. Now, if they're pinned back and they're and they're not able to get forward because there's not cover from the midfield, then that that forces Monaco to play in a different way, and that's what we saw. I think we should also credit. I should say, in addition to not having Fabinho here, uh, the, free, the freedom of, of movement that Di Maria had. And we saw him popping up quite a bit on the left-hand side and for, sort of forcing an overload on City Bay. I mean, City Bay is, was a doubt with an injury. Nathan, you had mentioned that in your preview on the site. And, but that, that ability to see him play in a free role and to see Monaco fail to adapt to that was what gave PSG their advantage. It was really well, well executed tactically. From PSG and really poorly executed from Monaco. Not having not having Fabinho there makes a big difference. But I, I think I'll agree with Philip in, in saying that there should be more flexibility demonstrated on the part of Monaco to adapt to this and and to for for Harding to come up with a plan. Maybe it's shifting away from that four three three. Maybe it's you know bringing in say Nabil Dirar and playing uh, Bernardo Silva off of Germain or Mbappe to give a little bit more defensive solidity. There are certainly options there. It doesn't have to be a radical departure. It just has to give a little bit more cover in midfield and, and to allow CD Bay to get forward. And we didn't see that with, in the absence of Fabinho, and it really hamstrung um, Monaco's attacking approach. You think, what, what, what would you guys have done um, if she'd been Jardim? Fabinho's out, what do you four, do? 4 one, one. Dira, Dira on the right, Silva off of Mbappe. Yeah. And yeah, Lamar, yeah, Lamar still playing left yeah, mid, oh, yeah. but I think he's oh, so a little bit did, more reserved. He won't just uh, just be, just behind Mbappe. No, Moutinho no. moved into that central area, and then Dirar on the right. Yeah. Um, so to to because Dirar's more of a defensive coverer than um, than so Silva. You want to keep in the final third, really. So you want to keep him there. Dirar's much better going backwards um, than I. Uh, than any Silva's, Silva's shot, second striker. So. Yes. yes. Okay. For me, yeah. Much uh, like they, they they did move to that in the second half, didn't they? Yeah. Well, they, and they had used that early in the season too. Uh, if mm. you if we if we remember uh, prior to Girard's being injured, he was a regular starter, and they were using that formation. Now, part of that was to cover the absence of Falcao, right? They they didn't have the four four two, but that formation had quite a bit of success earlier in the season with Silva sort of in that free roll. I mean, he likes to cut inside as it is, and then it also allows Monaco in in using that formation to retain possession further into their opponent's half of the pitch. And I'm really surprised that we didn't see that sooner. I mean, maybe Jardine was just shell-shocked at, at, at the manner of PSG's goals, but, I mean, Dirar is, you know, he's, he's had a long-term injury. That's that's certainly a mitigating circumstances. But, you know, the fact that, that Jardine had trusted him so extensively early in the season, one would think that would mean he can have a similar – level of trust in in the player now i mean he was starting he he was starting he came off injured against spurs i think at wembley yes, that was yes. the match he got hurt but the fact that jardine trusted him against Villarreal and against uh fenerbahce in the champions league playoffs which were huge i mean huge implications in those matches for monaco's season he trust he trusted Girard at that point in time to start you know i know mbappe is on good form but keep him and and drop Sherman. Sherman, you know, has shown that he's willing to come off the bench, you know, when when Monaco are fully healthy as it is. He's a willing servant. He's not someone that's going to gripe about that and destroy chemistry in 
uh, you know, in the changing room. So it's, yeah, it, it was frustrating not to see a little bit of flexibility from Jardim there, especially when what would seem to be an ideal solution had presented itself so obviously earlier in the season. I was actually quite surprised of the reaction of some of our um, French football experts on Twitter who do, who do follow uh, French football very closely and, and, and actually saw that Fabinho would have changed the whole game. I mean, don't get me wrong, I do believe that Fabinho is um, is better suited for, for this for this formation. He's more, shall we say, uh, active and uh, aggressive in, in, in a good way. Uh, but I still don't think that uh, that Monaco would that would have changed the the entire game. I just can't see a player uh, being so vital to to the system because you had Monaco not not playing well all over the pitch. I mean, it, it's I don't I don't think it's just just about this defeat. It's just about Fabinho not playing. I think it's also because some of the wingers were just not were just not performing, and we saw Monaco as being not entirely ruthless and lethal up front, which is, which has not happened in a very very long time. Philip, with all due respect, mm. look at PSG. How poorly PSG play when they don't have Verratti. Mm. I I really I strongly disagree with that. I think if you have a player who is as dynamic and as 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 aggressive on, on, on the ball and is as as, a, as important to create pressure as the likes of Averati, as the likes of Fabinho, it does change the match because it makes possession that much harder to get. And we've seen, you know, we did uh, Monaco. Monaco, you know, did pretty well against a Verratti-less uh, PSG in the league back in the end of January. And we've seen, you know, Monaco struggle. They're more cautious, though. Well, it's, it's just it just changes the dynamic. If you're you know Verratti and Fabinho can keep the ball, but they're they're also so good at creating pressure and covering space and allowing mm. other players a freer role. Whether it's Mounier at right back for PSG, whether it's whether it's Rabio, you know whether it's Di Maria in this match, and for Monaco, you know for Fabinho, whether it's it's City Bay getting forward, Bernardo Silva, you know it, not being asked to track back as much. That freedom of movement and that independence that we see, you know, when 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 a player of that caliber, you know, a world class box to box midfielder is on the pitch, it makes a difference because those kind of players, let's be honest, you know, don't grow on trees. Fabinho and Verratti are in a cr- class of ten players, a dozen players in that position that can, that can do that, and yeah, it makes a difference. It's 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 the efficacy of, say, you know, Real Madrid without without. Without, uh, I don't know, without Modric. Marcelo, or mm. without Luka, Luka Modric, you know, mm. or Tony Kroos, it, you watch them play, and, and that makes a difference. You know, there's ways to cover it tactically. Certainly, I mean, we've seen that, you know, with Real Madrid from Zidane this season. But if you don't adapt to it tactically, right, and you don't you don't acknowledge the absence of a world class player, which I believe Fabinho is. I think he's proved that this season. If you don't acknowledge that tactically. Then it comes back to bite you, and I think that's what we saw on Saturday evening. Well, we can at least yeah. agree that football a football match is being won in midfield. Then, yes, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, there was, was something else. Um, in, uh, yeah, just didn't. Uh, I just didn't see Fabinho being so uh, vital to to Monaco because if if um, if we if we follow. Uh, your logic, uh, and that's not just Eric, that's also Nathan's opinion and other, other people on Twitter. And Fabinho is Monaco's most important player, by far. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. Lekip yeah. had a graphic. Uh, it's, it's a, that's five matches they played without him. They've won two. Uh, yeah. They have a, and, they, and with him, they have, a, a, I believe, a 73% win rate. Yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not bad. Uh, I mean, and, and one final <laughs> <Yeah>. point... <laughs> Uh, and one final point: Jardim did adapt his side twice in the league against PSG. He didn't in the major cup final, and he lost. Mm-hmm. So to, to me, it's still something. Maybe maybe it's something you wanted to talk about right, just right now, Nathan. But I honestly fear for Monaco against Dortmund if they keep playing that formation, even with uh, Fabinho. Mm, it's an interesting point. I I, I 
I also like to mention that because of the way the formation works and Moutinho is expected to try and fill Fabinho's run, it, it was plainly obvious how much Fabinho affects it because Moutinho was a passenger for the majority of that game. I, th- I, I couldn't remember he was on the field until the second half and I saw him. I was like, oh yes, Moutinho's playing. I for- forgot Fabinho's not playing. It's, it sort of affects everyone. It stops the fullbacks going forward. It restricts the... It restricts the the wider pairs who love going forward and, and coming more inside as well to allow those wingers to go past. It, it restricts them. It sort of constricts the whole side in, and then yeah, didn't it clearly change them? I think a bit. But I, I did want to mention really because we'll obviously talk about the Champions League coming up next week, really, and and how that might affect them. But I want to talk about some refereeing decisions because I know Philip, you're very invested in video technology and bits like that. So I thought I would throw this one to you first. Um, the first goal, is it offside? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, to me, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. This is why I'm, not, I'm against video. It's um, Dimoué is a foot over. And, uh, his body seems to me uh, on the same line as the last defender. It's not like he's uh, miles, miles in front. Uh, I don't think this is it, It's kind of a close call. So with the video, yes, he's offside without it. I can I, I can see, I can put myself in linesman, linesman position and say, okay, maybe. But yes, he is offside. I was going to say, Eric's, Eric's reaction for a moment sounded like he was going to throw himself into that one, I think. But, um, no, I mean, you, there, I mean you, you admit it, Phil. If you want you, you yeah. to wind us up. But no, that goal was offside. Yeah. And that, yeah. that changes the tenor of the match, too, because it forces it, you know, it forces Monaco to play that much more aggressively when they perhaps weren't weren't set up to do that, you know, given the personnel they had. What did you think to the referees' performance overall, Eric? I mean, there were a couple of suspect decisions. The one that came quickly to my mind was the one where Kylian Mbappe was. I think I don't think he was booked, but it was certainly a free kick for handball where Thiago Silva grabbed his head. He, I think, he might have handballed it first, and then it hits. Mbappe's it was him. It was, yeah. was uh, Shadow Silver. Yeah. <laughs> what did you What did you think of the referee's performance, Eric? Yeah, I I think it could have been a little a bit better. I think that I think that as effective as PSG were, they did get away with things physically on occasion. And I think that 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 ability to play physical and physically and un, unsettle Monaco did have perhaps an undue influence on the match. But I don't think that. I don't think that the match turned on the referee's decisions, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. It could have been a little bit better, but it, it's not a, you know, a massive swing in either direction. No, that's fair. One comment that I'd, I just strongly disagreed with was uh, when when Mo said uh, referee's performance two out of ten. I just, you know, it's it wasn't that bad. It wasn't good. You know, I, it wasn't an eight or a nine. Seven. Sorry. We keep giving him a seven. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't obviously. I would not give him a seven, uh, but uh, yeah, probably not a two either. Mm. You see what I mean? This is what this is why I got you know what what are you on about? This is never ever two out of ten. It's it's not great, but it's not that bad. You know, it's not like uh, the guy who refereed Barcelona PSG. <laughs> no sense of bias there. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let, let's very quickly talk about possible future implications because obviously this is a good psychological blow for PSG to hit on Monaco. Do, Philip, do you think this might set up a nice grandstand finish for the league and, and possibly the Coupe de France if both uh, continue to progress? Well, first I think that uh, Unai needed this win. Uh, if PSG lost this game, no matter the manner, um, everybody would turn on him and say uh, it doesn't matter if uh, the referee got uh, a few decisions wrong or we lost on penalties or you lost in extra time or it was uh, it was really, really close. Uh, you need to win those domestic cups against uh, against French side because your predecessor was winning them for fun. Even though this uh, the game we saw on Saturday has nothing to do with, um, let's say, the three other Coupe de la Ligue successes that were uh, some kind of a, a walk in the in the park. Um, so this is this is basically, I hope, uh, Unai being being confirmed in his position and um, not. Well, there, there wasn't that much speculation about his future until the end of the season, but I do believe that he uh, this is going to be a platform for him to perform, to win every single game that um, is left in Liga and to win the Coupe de France. And uh, 
Uh, hopefully it'll be against Monaco. I mean, I would love the two sides to to meet again and have uh, have more um, tactical tactical disputes and uh, how they would um, how Monaco would, uh, would would line up. It would it would be very very interesting. I mean, I would I'd go to that. And it does. Uh, at least I hope it might still be interesting. There's only a three point gap in there. And- Nice closed the gap as well, although they've obviously played a game more. But it does keep that title race still interesting with about eight, nine, eight, eight, seven or eight games left to go. Uh, on to league action now as uh, all of the other top teams in and around the European spots slipped up, really. Uh, Marseille failed to win against relegation-threatened Dijon. Uh, Lyon drew against the 10 men of Rennes, while Bordeaux lost to a uh, relative impressive Nice. Uh, all are still within touching distance of each other, at least, with Saint-Étienne still in that equation as well, but obviously not playing this weekend as they were facing, supposed to face uh, Monaco. But we'll start with Marseille, Eric. Um, and we mentioned on the news that Baptiste René was a, a big factor in this, but was... This a big opportunity lost for them to really catch up with Leon. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that Baptiste Rene played really well. I think that you know, had had Benoit Costil not played the way he had against Leon, he Rene would have been, made my team of the week in the review. I think he's a a really impressive player. Has been very underrated this season. But yeah, on the whole, it was it was really frustrating. I think that. You know, Dijon certainly had their chances as well. It was unfortunate to see an own goal make the difference, but this was a Dijon... Okay, look, Marseille are playing at home against a Dijon that are lacking their best player. Lois Dioni was suspended. If, you, if, if you're Marseille and you have ambitions of European football, Champions League football, there's absolutely no way you can't look at this match and as being three points in the bag if you really have those aspirations. And they didn't. And how how badly they fell flat, you know, I think is a testament to how far this project needs to go. I think that Paye deserves some credit. You know, Sanson had a decent match in midfield, but I I think that there's still too much of an individualistic bent from a lot of these players. And I think Florian Tovan has to take a lot of the blame. I think that he often ended up cutting inside and, you know, not perhaps you know, stretching play as well as he should, stepping on Maxime Lopez's toes. And I wonder if that's something to do with the fact he didn't get any playing time with the national team last week, right? If he can't if he can't show himself as being anything other than a, someone who can play wide on the right, perhaps he wants to show, oh, I can play in, I can play centrally as well. He wants to show his versatility, but he ends up just coming off as being really selfish. And I, I think that that really shows that gap in class that Marseille still have to still have to contend with. And, you know, I don't mean to be overly negative. I, I think that, you know, even as someone who's a Leon fan, I think that Leon can only be better with a, a nice big cadre of strong teams at the top of the league. And that can be the current top three, Leon, Bordeaux, Marseille, Saint-Étienne, if they can get their act together on attack. That strength and depth in the league is what's going to, you know, continue to bolster these teams' performances in Europe and, and the way that Ligon is thought of across Europe. And I just think that it, you know, Marseille need to take a more holistic approach to this and either, you know, come the summer, Frank McCourt's really going to have to double down with the money that he spends or he's going to have to, you know, hope that Bielsa can really get a change in attitude from these players. Yeah, and, and just talking about their run for Europe, Philip, their running isn't too bad. They've played all the top three already. They've still got games against Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne, which is positive to them, but most of the other ones are in the bottom half. Can they still leap Frogley on? Obviously, they've also got the game midweek, or do you think that with these middling performances they've had recently, they might have too much of an ask to do that? I, I didn't actually quite catch a team name in, in at the beginning of the sentence. Uh, Marseille. I'll say uh, they they weren't um, they weren't good. Uh, I watched uh, I watched the game and uh, I thought they lacked um, uh, just just in in playing football. I mean on on paper it was all very good. You had uh, you had Vainqueur, you had Sanson, you had Payet, Tovin, uh You even had uh, even had Gomis. So um, and, and Marseille were was trying to to score goals even when he was uh, when he was on the pitch. It just Okay, Dijon are not an easy team to beat. 
they, they're down the bottom because uh, they, they score quite a lot of goals. They, they, they can see quite a lot of goals despite Batiste René. Um, but uh, they, they're really not that easy to beat, in, in all fairness. But uh, Marseille, uh, with the ball, uh, were just lacking complete creativity. And it didn't look like Garcia had uh, some kind of any sort of plan for uh, to create to create something instead of set of uh, you know gives the ball to Paya he'll do something uh, nice with it gives the ball to Tovar he'll do his uh, his one t- one trick pony Ala Ashley Young you know just and then Gomis will probably do something with uh, with Dijon making making a mistake well guess what there's a mistake actually didn't come from uh, Jordan Lutier or any other Dijon player it came from Grigory Sertic when they scored um, the own goal I mean. Do do Marseille actually equalise if Pai doesn't doesn't provide with with a free kick? I'm saying that before the last uh, last quarter of an hour where Batis Khane pulls out some some incredible saves, it just isn't good enough. I mean, it just there doesn't seem to be a lot of things there, and uh, I just yeah, I'm still looking, um, still waiting for some kind of uh, project and strategy from Garcia. Yeah, I, I think the issue here is that you know we have. Uh, we have a, a we have a problem with with Marseille, and it, if we we could take this match against Dijon in isolation, and I'm sorry I misspoke earlier. I said Marcelo Bielsa coming in. I, I that was obviously totally wrong. Uh, but but what we have here is inability to win matches that they quote unquote should win, and this is something that's created the separation that we have between the top three in France right now and the teams that are chasing them. Lyon have dropped points in, in silly situations. I think yesterday is a great example of that, but there have been certainly other ones. Uh, the loss to Caen, for example, springs immediately to mind. The loss to Lille as well. And Marseille mm-hmm. suffer from the same syndrome, and that's what makes the difference, is that the, if to have, amb- to have ambitions in, in Liga, you can't drop points. You should be beating on paper. And Dijon, at home, missing their best player, is a match you should you should be winning, and I don't. I don't necessarily know what to say about Marseille at this point. Uh, coming on the heels of that draw against Lille, where they were also poor, and had to be bailed out by a save from a really nice save from Pele. That's two weeks in a row now. He's he's had a, a really fantastic save to keep um, to keep a match scoreless. So that shouldn't be discounted either. I mean, yeah, Rene made some good saves, but so did Pele. It's it's not as if it's not as if it's one way traffic. It they need, you know, a, a more cohesive, a more cohesive plan. You know, a top quality striker will show that. I'm not saying Gomis isn't a good striker, but I don't necessarily know that he's of the quality needed to get this team into the top three in France. It seems a bit like a stretch, and uh, I would actually blame more the midfields and the on the attack. I mean. Uh, Dijon were, were quite feisty, and uh, you know they, they, they're not they're not especially bad players. Um, uh, Amalfi Tanus, uh, Samaray Tanus, all, all that they're not they're not too bad. But you know uh, players like Sanson and Vainqueur, they need to you know they need to step up. They need to be better. That's that's it. <laughs> it's very simple, really. Moving on to a team, another team that probably should have won, given that the opposition were down within the first five minutes uh, to ten men. Eric uh, Leon. Should they have been more deadly? Are they maybe also a little bit too reliant on Lacazette to get them the goals? He scored 23 this season. The closest to him is about seven after that. Are they maybe too reliant on him to be the one to create something? He missed a penalty in this one as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I Okay, before we, we put Leon to the sword, though, I do want to say that Ren played really, really well. Uh, the centre-backs, especially Maxair and Yangon and, and, and Costille was incredible. I know he's not had the best of seasons uh, still somehow makes the France squad, though. I know he's not had, not had the best of seasons, but he was absolutely incredible yesterday. And I, I think that more more credit should go to Ren's defending than Leon's lack of attack. But you make a good point. I mean, it's 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 that playing this four three three, right? That striker has to be the point of attack. And yeah, other players are chipping with goals. Albuena has a few. Uh, Depay has a few. So it's not as if there aren't some other sources of goals, but the fact of the matter is playing that 4-3-3 with Lacazette, it tactically sort of forces a reliance on him. 
And if he does have an off day, which which I think he did yesterday, and missing there was more than missing the penalty. There are some other chances which I think he could have done better with. Um, there's that then you know the outcome's only going to go one way. And you know as as much as I I have time for Lacazette, I think he's he's a great finisher. Uh, he sometimes you know doesn't doesn't quite quite come up to the standard that that Leon need, that Leon need to be a top three team. And again, that's the thing. I don't. I don't necessarily think that in the current season's top three. I don't think that Nice are necessarily anything incredible, but they 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 have a, a tactical plan that plays to their players' strengths, and I think that that's what we're lacking from Leon. That's what we're lacking from Marseille is it is an is an overall approach that that gets the best out of these players, but also can offer you know something different. You know. I, and it's just it's just frustrating to see that uh, that level of, of tactical ineptitude. I think that you know, great that they're in the Europa League quarterfinals and have a, a decent draw against Besiktas. But I think that other than that, this season's been a real waste. And you know, given the opportunity that I think is certainly there to for third place. I mean, again, Nice are Nice are great. You know, they're 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 a great story. But uh, we saw you know. I think we've seen in their elimination from the cup competitions and elimination from Europe that, you know, Nice at their best versus, versus Leon at their best. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure that given the aspirations and financials involved that, that Leon shouldn't, shouldn't be aspiring to be, be better than them. And it's because of a, a, a lack of tactical continuity and a lack of, a lack of adaptability, right? If you if you go one nil up in this match, as they did, and you don't press your advantage, you know, with a team that's surely tiring and lacks an orthodox left back. Um, there's no, there's no reason, you know, to think that you would deserve anything else. And it's, it's down to the ineptitude on, on the part of the manager. Mm. Uh, in fairness, Philip Leon's running. They've still got Monaco to play, but they've got a game in hand, and everyone else that they played in midweek against Mets, and they have none of those games against PSG or anyone around them. Can you see them probably riding this one out and staying in that fourth position? Oh, I still think they're the favourites. I mean, uh, I thought there was a question you were going to ask me since, uh, you know, as uh, a host niece in the last years, can they still make it? Which I, I can actually uh, wanting to, to uh, make this uh, dream um, alive, uh, basically because I wanted something exciting to, to play for, for, for third. But uh, now that Lyon uh, drew... At Rennes, that uh, Nice beat uh, beat Bordeaux. Um, yeah, of course, third place is uh, out of the question. But I just don't, I, yeah, just see uh, some kind of gap uh, between Lyon and um, the rest. Uh, the rest being Saint Etienne, Marseille, Marseille and Bordeaux. I still think they've got everything they can to actually win more or less every game uh, until the end of the season. I still think they should have they should have won that game uh, yesterday. So, to me, there's very little doubt that they'll make fourth. Maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but um, you know, I still, I still think it'll be quite comfortable for them. And just some very quick breaking news on Leon player Maxwell Corner. He's chosen Ivory Coast to represent at international level. It seems like okay. he decided against joining France. But I, I suppose you can spare one decent winger with the amount of unbelievable winging talent the French have at the moment so I don't think there'll be too much of a massive miss but let's talk about Bordeaux now who went in front against Nice at the weekend but ended up on the losing side of a, of a 2-1 win which probably was deserved really by the home side they've only lost to the top three in that since to that in well, this year and and have games against Marseille and Saint-Étienne to come up are those crucial Eric if they want to try and push into those Europa League, uh, Europa League spots yeah, I think so. I, I think that they're, you know, I wouldn't necessarily count Bordeaux out uh, for the for the Coupe de France. Either. They have a decent draw against Angers, but I think they can continue to progress in that. And you know, yeah, they they sort of, I don't know. It was a little frustrating to see them lose against Nice yesterday, but I think that I think that on the whole, the the way that this four three three has been playing, they they certainly look, you know. In, in good stead. I think they're they're the fourth best team in the second half of league on season. And should they continue on with that with this this youngish attacking team that 
they should be they should be in good stead to finish sixth. So whether they so whether they make Europe through finishing sixth or through winning the Coupe de France, I think they're in in really good shape to do that. Yeah, it's just a shame that it, but their their run stopped against Nice who were really really good on Sunday at times. But let's talk about that final team in that sort of running, and they're just on the outside looking in, and they've got a really tough running. They've got to play both all well uh, both of Monaco and uh, PSG still left to play as well as Marseille and Bordeaux as we've mentioned uh, are Saint-Étienne especially with a poor form they're in Philip uh, are they out of the question for these for the uh, Europa League spots no well no actually because um, I still think that there's uh, quite a few games they, they can win um, and them them putting out uh, some kind of a defensive miracle at Monaco whenever that, that game is going to be played is possible. Um, them not losing at home to Bordeaux or PSG is also very much possible. I mean, they did not lose at the Parc des Princes uh, back in September, I think it was. And then you've got the easy games. You've got uh, Norton Rennes at home. You've got, well, Gagre away, not exactly easy. Norsi away on the last day, and I... I honestly believe Nossi will already be um, mathematically relocated when that game that game happens. I just I just don't want them to qualify for the Europa League. Really, I just want someone else to to represent uh, France on on a Thursday evening. But you know, just they can still do it, no problem. They've, they've got. I mean, they do have the best goal difference out of uh, Marseille, Bordeaux, and themselves. So that's that's pretty good. <laughs> Take the positives as you can get them. That's what we're learning from that one, really. Uh, and well, I mean, uh, they really don't have that great of an uh, of an attack, and but uh, not not that easy to beat either. So no, it's uh, they've they've got it, but I just you know, I wouldn't mind if it doesn't happen. Well, let's move on now to what a difference two weeks can really make. Two wins on the bounce against relegation rivals, and Lorient are off the bottom of the table. Um, Philip, I know you love your relegation battles and mm-hmm. a renaissance story is always nice to talk about. Is this the start of Le Merlu's great escape? Well, I think I think it is because the game at Nossi was um, so epic with uh, Lorient being 2 0 after 66 minutes, winning the game 3 uh, 2. It just changed everything because had Nossi kept that lead, they were six points clear of, um, of Lorient. And uh, if they were winning that game, there would be. Uh, nine points clear, I think, and that would that um, defeat would have relegated Lorient. But Lorient won, and nine became three, and now Nossi lost at um, Gagon. Uh, actually, actually saw a, a video post-match conference of uh, Antoine Combray who said we played really, really badly, but you know they still beat Nancy just to testament how how bad it, how bad they've been uh, this season. And Lorient beat Caen despite being down to ten men for most of the second half. A very harsh uh, red card. Uh, it was it was possibly a yellow, but not uh, not a red. So yeah, I believe that uh, with um, the experience the players have, the run-in, not probably uh, right now because uh, they're going they're going at Lyon um, next next weekend next weekend sorry but uh, then away to Montpellier home to Metz away to Nantes home to Angers away to Bastia uh, basically the only the only two tough games they have in their winning is away to Lyon and home to Bordeaux which is on the last day um, to me yeah uh, the bottom two that uh, should be we should. Uh, look forward to to be seeing in uh, in Ligue 2 next season now uh, Nancy and uh, and Bastia, and it'll be interesting to see that fight between Lorient and Dijon. Saying this, Caen, Metz, and Montpellier are not that you know not that far off either. So yeah, want to um, want to look forward to really definitely that playoff race. Eric, let's let's talk about their last couple of games and and Philip touched on it. Then the three two win at Nancy was really important to come back from two goals down. Especially, is that just give them the belief that maybe they can do it now, or is something changed tactically, or is it a little bit of a mixture of both? Yeah, I I, I would agree with the third option there. I think that there is certainly belief. I mean, look to get that win last week against Nancy to set up this match. You know that's that that that's it. I mean, you can't you can't expect to realistically beat relegation results aside if you're not playing with any level of self belief. And the fact that last week on the road against a team that you know doesn't concede a whole lot of goals in Nazi, Lorient kept pushing, 
kept pressing, got that win. I think that that just dovetails really neatly into into this match, where which was again scrappy and not not of a very high quality. Uh, but that can but taming on from that. They played with belief and knowing that you know this is the result that's gonna it's gonna get us back into the conversation. And you know now with Nasi losing, Bastia losing, and Dijon only able to draw. You know, I think the Lorient are firmly back in the, in in that in that discussion for staying up, and I think that you know we'd be well served. I, I, we we would be well served to have them continue to stay in Liga. I think, given the array of talent that they have, uh, and the fact that they've consistently produced or burnished talent in the form of Didier Dong and Rafael Guerrero in recent seasons, um, I think that there's there's a lot to be said for not only Lorient as as a club as but also as an incubator of talent that can, you know, that can allow players to develop and, and at a at a decent standard of play. I think that the the work that they've done in, in bringing players into Liga, developing them, and then selling them on, has been impressive as well. And that that shouldn't be undersold. I know that that's a somewhat cynical approach in terms of looking at Liga as a selling league, but that is something that they've done for me to a more efficient and a better degree than a lot of clubs have. And I think that that's allowed them to sustain themselves in terms of success. Yeah, it's amazing what a little bit of confidence can really do to a team. And, and Philip, you've already mentioned as well the schedule. Sees them play a lot of the teams around them, including like the likes of Bastia and, and Dijon will come up in a few weeks as well. Be absolutely honest, do you think they'll do it? Dijon? Uh, no, uh, um, Lorient, do you think they'll stay up? Well, I think they'll finish in the playoff spot. So that, uh, then uh, we have that uh, big question, who's going to finish third in Ligue 2? And this is even more you know, um, uh, hard to guess, unpredictable, uh, I would say, uh, than uh, who's, going to, uh, who's going to finish in the, in the bottom of the year. It's quite clear to me that Nostia and Bastia are going down, uh, give, given their run of form. Of course, that can change. Of course, it can change. Um, and Lorient are going to be, playing, to be contesting, at least, as a playoff between themselves and Dijon. But I just find Dijon much harder to beat than, than Lorient uh, with um, players who really uh, would like to probably stay up more, uh, if that makes any sense, because Dijon have never uh, really been able to stay in, in Ligue 1. Uh, they only had one solitary season in the last 15 years. Um, and uh, maybe playing with more, with more eagerness, I would, uh, I would think. So, yeah... If I had to take a bet, I would say Lyon would, would, would be 18th and Dijon 17th. But it, I honestly really, really thought that um, Lens would beat Brest um, on Saturday, as the Lens was three points clear of Brest, of Brest uh, before kickoff, and uh, they lost it 2 0. So now it's Lens and Brest level at, uh, at the top of Ligue 2, and Strasbourg are currently leading uh, Sochaux 2 0. So they're, they're going to be third. And I just don't see any side being able to to beat uh, to, to beat Lorient. If, if I'm being completely honest, it's a very um, yeah, it's a very underwhelming year for for the There really is no side who looks to be above the rest and uh, ready to go to Ligue 1, and it, which is very which is quite frustrating. I mean, you you kind of like those kind of seasons where there's not a lot of um, not of sides, but. Um, um, it just uh, it just doesn't uh, feel that good for uh, next season and the teams are getting promoted. Of course, that can all change very very quickly. So to yeah. me, to some of them, will stay up. I, I think some of the league der teams might be crossing the fingers that someone like Nancy might stay in that third position spot. Might be more of a. Mm. Likely game, Eric. Very quickly, do you, do you think the same, or do you think Lorient will give it a chance? And also, very quickly, do you think that um, that it's just between those four for the relegation places? Do you think Caen and Montpellier are on thirty-three and thirty-two points respectively, sort of a little bit too far for anyone to catch? I uh, I wouldn't say Caen and Montpellier are quite safe. I would say Leo Angers, yes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, you know, Caen, Montpellier have dropped off quite a bit. In, in the recent past, and and Khan as well. I don't think that, that you know we saw Montpellier really flying when Gasset first came into the side, but they don't seem to have quite the same vivacity that they do they did back at, at that point in time. Uh, they're dealing with injuries once again. Um, so 
Yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said there. Lorient, yeah, I mean, looking at these fixtures they've got, they've got coming up, they're away to Montpellier, they're at home to Metz, they're away to Nantes, they're at home to Angers, they're away to Bastia. And, you know, that quintet of matches, I think, uh, presents a real opportunity to notch up 10 or 12 points, which will put them onto 38, uh, which I would think would be enough to get the playoff spot as a minimum. Mm. Uh, there's, there's a match against Leon this upcoming weekend, and there's a match against Bordeaux the final weekend of the season. I wouldn't be optimistic about points in either of those situations, but certainly that other set of matches, absolutely there's every point, that, there's every chance they get a, a good run of results. I mean, Montpellier have really been struggling. I think in two weeks' time, that looks a, a good bet for points at home. You know, Mets have been better, but, you know, they're probably safe at this point. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it might be a matter of learning coming up against teams that are putting their feet up, not another one, another one that fall into that category, where those opponents who might be necessarily a little bit better than them uh, in a given week aren't going to have quite as much to play for. You know, you know Bastia they have in the penultimate week might already be down by that point. So yeah, I think that things set up very, very well for Lorient to stay up. It makes it all the more interesting for those final couple of weeks. Uh, we finished this week with one of my favourite segments, at least, and that's Sene Pas Possible. Uh, we will start with you, uh, Philip. What was weird, strange or wacky thing you could not quite believe this week in Liga? Uh, on first viewing, Cavani's open goal miss. <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> yeah. I was asked the replay, I said, oh, yeah, well, maybe. Mm. Maybe I would have missed that. Right? Sorry? Do you not, do, he goes with... Hello? I think he asked, would it be better if he had taken it with his other foot? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do reckon that. I think, uh, I think it, uh, taking it on the left foot basically puts the ball a bit on the outside, and he was actually from the outside of the goal when he received the ball. Once again, not as easy as it looks on... on on live television. No, not at all. And I, I, I would have to agree with that. Um, for me, I, I would say, you know, going back to what we were saying, that there wasn't a little bit more of tactical flexibility from Leonardo Jardim. That was really frustrating to see, uh, mm. especially given he had Dirar available to him. He could have played uh, Silva centrally and, and allowed Moutinho to, you know, get more into that defensive role, which he has played at times. I mean, I think when Monaco had played a 4 one in seasons past, he had partnered Tua Lan, he had partnered Kondogbia in that role. So it's not, it's not as if he's a stranger to it necessarily, but playing in a 4-4-2 that's so open, it just didn't make sense. And the fact that there had been such an opportunity for Monaco to adapt things tactically and to allow those fullbacks to get forward, I, I, again, we're really, you know, you know, really being nitpicky to to take credit away from Jardim after the way that this season's gone. But, you know, I think that this does show the value of experience when it comes to uh, winning these matches at, at a high level. Uh, Jardim, for all of his talents, hasn't really had a whole lot of experience in matches of this magnitude, and neither have most of these players. And... Emery has, you know, pl having, having you know, done well in Russia, done well in Spain in years past, and he knows what success is, you know, in, in a cup final, as it were. And I know that, you know, again, I know that Monaco have come through three rounds of, of elimination play in, in Europe, and I know that they've come through, you know, a, a handful of matches in both the Coupe de la Ligue and the Coupe de France, including some testing matches in the Coupe de, Coupe de la Ligue, but it's just a matter of how well that experience can bear out and, you know, to focus on adaptability and to recognize the importance of a certain player. So, you know, Jardim slips up at a crucial moment. I don't think that means Monaco's season is a wash. I, I still would put them as favorites to win the title and give them a, a punching chance against Dortmund, but disappointing to see given how, how well they performed prior to this match. Well, we can at least agree on that. I also have this uh, image, uh, I think it was the last thing I saw before turning off the TV, was uh, Hatem Benar for not playing a single minute. Um, and uh, we, we saw the video of him uh, 
basically having a moan about uh, him not being uh, being able to play and stuff. And uh, you see a player of this magnitude not playing a game in a major final. You just think, uh, well, that's that's pretty bad. And you actually feel bad for the guy. I, I mean, mean, you do. Well, why do you feel bad for him? Though? I mean, because he's the one who takes this, he, who thinks he has this belief and and talent that he can join back up and you know be successful. But mm. he I mean, he moves to PSG for the money, right? Let's let's be honest about that, right? Mm. Yeah, I think he moves it for the Champions League as well. Well, okay, sure, but why not? Champions League and money. I, I don't think there was much difference to him for for bit, between uh, uh, how many millions he was earning at Nice and how many millions he was earning at wants to play in the Champions League. He wants, uh, um, in the long term, I think what he really wants is to be on on that flight to Russia, which doesn't look good. No, but I mean, well, okay, if he wants the Champions League and mm -hmm. money's not as important to him, and mm -hmm. he wants to prove himself at a high level. Why didn't he? Why isn't he filling the role that Samir Nasri filled at, at Sevilla? Just to, just as an example. Uh, well, you know? what exact role is that? Is that uh, uh, a number ten in a four-two-three-one? Is that? No, I mean Nasri what has. What do you mean I, by that? Oh no, no, I mean that 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 place in the squad for an attack-minded midfielder who can who can also play on the wings. If you watch Sevilla play, Nasri generally tends to have a pretty free role. Yeah, no matter well, what. I mean, is is Ben actually being? Is he actually um, allowed to have a free role? Well, he did at Nice to great success. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know, I know. But the last time I saw him play was against Lille, and, and he seemed to be almost um, ordered to stay in the, in that hole, where there's lots of defenders and defensive midfielders, and. <sighs> Just, just being extremely frustrating because you couldn't see the guy. You just couldn't see him. You said, "It's been awful really on the pitch. It's been, it's been thirty-five minutes, and and you say, oh, there he is. Okay. So, is it him or is it Unai? I mean, I, I strongly, I strongly think that's, uh, it's. I, I actually don't know who it is, but, but that's uh, like, that's it, it can't, it can't be. You know, it can't be. It can't be Unai saying you have to stay there and not move. That's just stupid. But even but if Ben Arthur is not being uh, being given a free roll, so electron libre, uh, he just basically stops being a football player. For I mean, period. Sure. So I just don't get it. I just don't but get that's it. That's my point. Is why you know why why go to PSG? Mm. Well, yeah. If, if if you have this this tactical rigidity, this whether okay look whether Emery's played a four two three one, whether he's continuing the four three three that that Blanc and Ancelotti had installed, there's not. Angel Di Maria has been given a fair amount of freedom. I think we can agree on that. But other than him, maybe Javier Pastore, there there's not a lot of positional freedom to the way that any of those players play in the systems. And I think mm. that Ben Arfa's really approach really was approaching last summer with an eye towards Russia, right? Mm. And with an eye towards his role in the team, I think he would have picked a team that was perhaps a little bit less talented than PSG, but that maybe shows more ambition, shows more potential, not more potential in terms of ends of success, but has potential to, to have success in Europe. And I think, I don't know, I think he could have approached things a little bit more holistically. And I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that he's, he's perhaps done the right thing. You know, would there have been opportunities for him at some of the Italian teams as well? I, I think that that's that's a question to be asked as well. So, is I, is Ben Arthur a holistic person? Well, I mean, that's that's the underlying idea of my <laughs> my criticism of him. I, I think that you know he had the whole thing the other week, and oh, you're going to hear what I have to say. Well, we're still yeah. waiting. I, I I think as well a point we sometimes missed is is, is sometimes players' self worth is more then they think they hear about a team wanting them and they think, oh, I must be good enough to play for that team and start. And then mm -hmm. everyone else might be saying the opposite thing, but they, they go with what else they've been told. But I do, I do want to very quickly finish on on uh, my moment this week. And it was, it was a pretty funny one, and I, I shared it on Twitter a little bit. And that was the unfortunate curse of the BT Sport commentators here in England um, <laughs> covering French football. Um, and it seemed like... I, I'm, not going to mention the Paul Bloke's name because I, I believe he was fed wrong information. But uh, there was a uh, there was a it was um, Montpellier versus Toulouse. Uh, the first issue was uh, Mon uh, Toulouse were playing in a completely blank white kit with a Nike sponsor, seemingly bought yeah. from the local shop because of the referee deciding that their away kit was 
too close to Montpellier kit. Um, unfortunately, the commentator said it might be a commemorative kit for their 80-year anniversary, but I, I don't know why Nike might have provided that and also without a, <laughs> without, without a badge on it. Uh, and the Seems second one... Cheap, yeah. Seems yeah. a very cheap way to, to celebrate an anniversary, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the second one was um, he consistently, and the only reason I can think of this is he was given the wrong team sheet or something like that. He constantly said that Corentin Jean was Andy Delors, and Andy Delors was Corentin Jean. And he even had an escape route when Delors scored, that it said Delors' name on the, the score sheet, and he insisted it was Jean. And then Jean was booked in the second half. It came up with a graphic saying Jean was booked. And he said to the audience, he said, I implore you, even though it says that's uh, Jean, that's actually Delors. Um, mm-hmm. it, it gave us a chuckle at least. It, it probably never, it's something that never ever happens in English football because you seem to recognize everyone. But it was a nice little bit of comedy on a Sunday afternoon that probably about 100, a few hundred people might have recognized. But the curse of the BT Sport commentators, we'll, we'll leave that for another week. Uh, that's all that we have time for this week. Uh, my thanks to Eric and Philip. Uh, join us for the preview show hosted by Eric on Thursday. And we'll be here at the same time, same place next week. Arianto and goodbye.